Hello and welcome to Spawn, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumpener. I'm the co-founder of CoolMomPics.com along with Kristen Chase, who is out this week on vacation. She will be back next week, but that's okay. I am not alone. I am joined by an amazing guest. On this episode, we're going to be talking about kids and sexuality and how to get better at talking to them about this important topic. So I'm really excited about this. And of course, we'll close out with our cool picks of the week. So let me tell you about our incredible guest. We're joined by Dr. Heidi Crowett, who is a Minneapolis-based professor of communication studies, a family sexual communication researcher, and she holds a PhD in family communication. This basically sounds like Christian's dream job, so I'm kind of bummed that she's not here. So she'll like listening to this episode too. Heidi kind of puts it all together to provide helpful information and guidelines to parenting groups through her education program, which is called Beyond Birds and Bees, Communicating Your Values to Raise Sexually Healthy Kids, which, as you might have guessed, is about how we can communicate with our children of all ages about sex and sexuality. And as a mom of two kids herself, Heidi knows that the topic can be overwhelming. And while parents want to do and say the right things, they simply don't know where to start. I know that was true for me. So she's found success sharing important research on sexuality with parents in a way that's easy, relatable, and she works with families, different values that they have about sex, but still keeps us all in touch with reality. It's such a challenging topic for so many parents that I'm I'm so pleased she's joining us today. Heidi, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. I'm so glad you're joining us. I feel like I should call you Dr. Crowett. Oh, whatever you want is great. <laughs> we'll go with Heidi. We're like, we're casual around that here. That sounds much better. So let's just start with a definition first. Like, what does it mean to raise sexually healthy kids? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I say over and over again. And my hope is that people start to think a little differently about what it means to talk to their kids about sex. So I always talk about raising sexually healthy kids because it reminds us that talking to our kids about sex is about way more than just talking about sex, right? So sexually healthy kids, first of all, sexually healthy kids grow up to be sexually healthy teenagers who grow up to be sexually healthy adults so that hopefully they have a conversation like this someday as adults and they feel comfortable and confident in the decisions they've made right? That would be a goal that we have for our kids. Yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't just happen, right? We don't just wake up or find ourselves to be these sexually healthy adults. We had to live through these experiences and we had to, you know, develop some skills to call ourselves sexually healthy. So we want to help our kids get to that place really comfortably and confidently. So when we talk about raising sexually healthy kids, the definition I use could be super long, <laughs> right? There's a whole list of things that it includes, but raising sexually healthy kids means that we raise kids who know and understand their bodies, they appreciate their bodies, they can express love and intimacy in a variety of ways, they're effective decision makers, the list could go on. But if we think about that list, like very little of it actually has anything to do with sex. I love that list. Here's the thing that's so interesting, and this is why what you do and teach is so valuable. I don't think anyone would disagree that we want to raise children who become healthy teens and become healthy adults and do all of those things and feel good about themselves and make good choices. And right. like everything you listed is kind of like a, a duh, right? Like we're all nodding yes. as parents going, yes, of course we want that. But parents still seem freaked out about the discussion and how to get our kids there. And I know we talk so much in the parenting community about how to deal with strangers or do we talk about tricky people or how do we talk about drugs and drinking? And, yes. and now we have the tech talk, but the sex talk and sexuality and 
and gender and all that stuff, it still freaks a lot of people out. Why do you think there's still a taboo? So it freaks so many people out. I think that even those of us who study this for a living, right, I think I could tell everybody else what to say. But with my own kids, I still find myself in situations that I don't always know how to answer their questions or I'm not sure, you know, what to say or how to respond. It is a tricky conversation. And I think that's why we want to start thinking of it less as, I need to talk to my kids about sex and more as if I'm raising sexually healthy kids, it's a bigger picture thing, right? So that's kind of the goal. But I think it's awkward for a couple reasons. I think one, a lot of us did not have these conversations with our parents. Well, not my parents. Right. Well, <laughs> they were very uh, forthcoming with all things sexual and sexuality. Actually, it was great. It was great. But I've, to- I've told stories before about how at my third grade birthday party, my mom handed out OB tampons to everybody so they could put them in water and see how they worked. <laughs> Well, your mom was way ahead of the times, and I'm guessing that there are still many moms who would never even consider doing that now. So the fact that your mom was forward thinking enough to do that is amazing, by the way. Yay, mom. But a lot of us didn't have parents who did that, right? And it's not their fault. Their parents didn't talk to them about it. So I think it's awkward and uncomfortable because a lot of us just don't have like a script for this. We don't have an experience that we can say wow, this is how it was told to me. And now I can just tell the same story to my kids. But even though I had parents who were, you know, they got me like our bodies ourselves and all the birds and bees books and the where babies come from books, even though that was a very open topic, when I became a parent, I still had trouble with it. So I I don't know if it's just about not having parents that give us the script. I mean, I wrote a blog post a long ways back called the vagina monologues (laughs) about (laughs) trying to tell my daughter vagina and not like cute little euphemisms. And it was still tough for me. So what are are other reasons that it's so difficult, even if you grew up with, you know, open discussions in your household? Well, I think a lot of us are embarrassed that we don't know enough. Like once we start to have a conversation, maybe it's going to go really far and we're going to have to know a lot of details. Or a lot of us are maybe ashamed of our own experiences, or we feel guilt of our own behavior. And I think ultimately, a lot of us are just afraid of doing this wrong. And we live in a culture that the way we talk about sexuality has changed. And the way a lot of us feel about sexual related topics and sexuality has changed. And by the way, every generation goes through that, right? Every generation has felt like this topic has gotten more complicated, maybe harder to talk about. And in some ways it has, right? But it doesn't have to stop us from talking about it. But I think a lot of us just get stuck in this idea that maybe we don't know enough or we're not sure if we're going to say too much too soon. And so we just kind of don't want to say anything at all. You know, that's interesting. It kind of reminds me of the way we talk about how white parents don't talk about race at yes. home while people of color talk about race because they have no choice yes. and they're living it and feeling it every day. Exactly. And that when you're white, and especially if you're in a, a more homogenous community, you kind of have the privilege to not have to talk about it because you think it's, it doesn't affect you or you don't even know how to talk about it or your kids will ask too much or right. you, know, you won't know how to answer. And so it's interesting. I never thought about those two as comparable, but it, it kind of feels that way. I think they are in some ways. And I think it is really that idea of I just don't know what to say. So I might not say anything at all. And I think that's where the comparison of those race talks is really close, right? Because if I don't know what to say, or I'm afraid of using the wrong words, or I'm afraid of saying something that's, you know, out of date or out of context, that I don't want to ruin something in the moment. I think a lot of us feel like we've got one chance to do this right. You know, (laughs) like we've got 
one chance to talk to our kids about sex. And if we don't do it right, they're never going to come and talk to us again, or we're going to miss out on telling them something super important. And since most of the time when we have conversations with our kids about these issues, you know, they usually catch us off guard. We're not usually prepared. We haven't expected or anticipated their questions. So we haven't really thought about what to say, and we're not sure what the right thing to do is. So we panic. And that's, I think, why we ultimately avoid at least initiating some of these conversations. Well, I think that's really reassuring for a lot of parents who are nervous or if we have listeners who have toddlers and haven't quite gotten there yet. Or even parents who have older kids and they're like, oh, God, I feel like it's too late. But it's never too late, right? So listen, as long as we've got you here, we don't have to pay you. We're getting this for free. (laughs) Yes, yes. Tell me where and when we start. Like, how do you get started? What do you do when your kids are little? First of all, I would say start when they're little. And I think parents should know that there is not, you know, a too soon, a too early of a time where you can start thinking about raising sexually healthy kids. I use this research um, based on this woman, Dr. Ann Bernstein. She wrote this book years and years ago called Flight of the Stork. But what she does is she gives us these categories to think about developmentally where our kids are at and what they're ready to know about sexual development, family planning, and all of this stuff. So if I talk about these categories, it's just because I think it really gives us an easy way to think about what our kids are ready for and when. Here's the first one. So she talks about toddlers, preschoolers, so maybe like your two to five-year-olds. She calls them geographers. And she says that geographers like to know where things are and what they're called. I love that. Doesn't that sum up the life of a two to five-year-old kid, right? They just want to know what's that, what's that, what's that, where's this, where's this? And so it's like all day long, right? You remember having little kids. Yes, that's how we got, are we there yet? Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) You're pointing at things, they're asking questions. And that's because developmentally, their brains are just soaking up that new vocabulary. They love learning where something is, what it's called. So if we put that into the context, context of talking to our kids about sex or raising sexually healthy kids, then ding, ding, ding. The trick here is to simply use proper names and labels. It's the best thing that we can do for our kids when they're little. It's the best sort of setting the stage that we can do for future conversations. So making sure that we're using terms like penis, testicles, vagina, vulva. I mean, like the female body has a hundred parts we could choose from. As long as you bring that up, I want to know where you stand on the vulva versus vagina debate that's been going on forever. Okay. Well, I don't know that I have like a formal stance on it. I would tell if a mom asked me that question in one of my sessions, I would say, well, I just hope you pick something that actually is, you know, either vagina or vulva. But I like to encourage parents to pick two words because female body parts are really complicated. There's a lot of things to label, right? And I think it's important that we teach our kids that there isn't just something external like your vulva or something internal like your vagina. So if we give our kids the two differences, right, a vagina and a vulva, it shows them that we've got different things going on. And so then as they get older, we can talk about those terms differently depending on what the need is. And then certainly as we start to talk about like puberty, it's helpful to know that your vagina is in fact something different than the other parts of your body. That's a really good way to put it. You know what? You're making me rethink some things because I've always (laughs) thought, you know, kind of the way you say belly or tummy, you know, you kind of use simpler terms with littler kids. I've always thought, well, vagina is a good starter point until they're a little older and you can start differentiating. But actually the way you're talking about like inside and outside, I think that's actually very simple and very helpful. So 
you know, you mentioned earlier that a lot of us even struggle to use these terms with our kids. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle to do it, which is why I like to just remind people, hey, it's a really simple step that you can take now. But I think the reason that we're embarrassed or afraid to use these terms is because they seem like grown up terms to us, Uh, right? Like the word vagina seems like something grown up or vulva, right? It seems like because I'm an adult, I associate that with adult things. Right. This is a good time to remember that our brains work differently than our kids' brains, that child sexuality is different than adult sexuality, which seems like a really obvious point, No, right? I just got chills. That's amazing. Okay. Yes, yes. Well, it's can... the reason that sometimes we can watch a movie that we're like heartbroken and crushed and crying and our kids just watch the movie and take it yes. in. They don't have the life experience we do. Exactly. And that's exactly what it is. It's our life experience, right? We have like 30, 40, 50 years of experience on this earth that shapes how we perceive everything. Our kids have, you know, three years, five years of experience. So when we hear the word penis or vulva, or when we see an image that looks like maybe two people, you know, embracing, we might think of something very adult. We might think of something sexual because we are sexual adults. Our kids do not think of that at all. If they hear the word penis, if they hear the word vulva, they go, cool, another word to learn, right? Because they don't have any association with something sexual. It's a good reminder that we're not teaching our kids the beginnings of sexual intercourse. We're just labeling the body. Yes. And my understanding has always been it's important to use the proper names for a couple of reasons. Tell me if this is right or if there's more to it. That one is, first of all, for knowledge that you should just know about your body, in part because we don't want to create shame around bodies. And when you don't say a word, you're kind of telling your kids that that's something to be ashamed of. And then the other thing I heard is it can help kids in terms of predators or touching without consent, that somebody who wants to touch you without your permission is never going to say vagina. They're going to use cute words for it. Is that your understanding? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I would say that there's four reasons why it's so important to start using these names and labels, and you listed most of them there. So one is it maximizes developmentally where our kids are at. It's a lot easier to tell your three-year-old that she has a vagina than it is to talk to your 11-year-old about her vagina if she's never heard you use the word. So in part, it sets us up for future conversations. But it also teaches our kids that there's nothing wrong with these body parts. They're just like all the other body parts in the sense that they have a really unique and important purpose. Every body part we have is there for a reason. And we don't want our kids to think that there's something like wrong with these body parts. That's why we don't talk about them or that my mom and dad don't like to talk about those body parts. Kids are super smart, right? They're always smarter than we give them credit for. And they pick up on these things. So if we're not using these words and we're kind of skipping over that whole thing, I always think of the song, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, right? <laughs> I think like we're skipping over a whole lot from those shoulders to those knees. There's a lot between your shoulders and your knees. Yes. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not encouraging you to go home and like ad lib a new verse to that song. But, <laughs> but you can. But you can. But it is something just to think about that. That's what we do, right? We're so good. Think about changing a little kid's diaper and you, you know, where's baby's belly and, you know, where's baby's toes? We just completely skip over the fact that they've got these other body parts that have medical terms, you know, for them and they have important purposes. And we just forget to talk about it. So I think that that sends our kids this message that either there's something different and wrong with them 
Or it sends the message that I'm not comfortable talking about it. So like, by the way, kid, you have questions about it. Don't come to me, right? I'm not comfortable talking about it. Uh, so how do you handle parents who are uncomfortable with sexuality? I mean, I know that's a lot of who you talk to and, and that you try to incorporate people's values about sex and sexuality into how they talk to their kids. But what do you do with parents who have shame or guilt or just discomfort or maybe they were raised in a really religious household yes. and this isn't something they ever talked about? Like, how, how did parents overcome that. Yeah. And that is a lot of the parents that I talk to. And it's just that they say, I didn't have this experience or I'm nervous about how to start. I'm not comfortable using these terms myself. So how do I start with my kids? It seems too big. It seems too hard. And I say, okay, first of all, this is again, not like you're preparing for one important conversation. We are talking about years of how we communicate with our kids. So we talk about building a culture of conversation in the home, that this is not one conversation we're going to have that has to be perfect. Rather, we're trying to encourage our kids to see that in our family, right, in our home, we talk about things. And sometimes we make mistakes talking about them. And sometimes they're really important things. And sometimes they're little things. But if we build this culture of conversation, then it frees up some of that pressure, right? Or frees up some space to say, if I get it wrong, it's okay. If I forget to say the proper label one time, it's okay. Because I'm going to get another chance. Because in our family, that's what we do. We talk about it. Culture of conversation is brilliant. And that's a great segue for my next question. This came up. We have a, a Facebook community called Out Tech Your Kids. We talk about it a lot here. It's a private community, but it's, you know, open to anyone who wants to join. I posted an article. We tend not to be alarmist about things like sexual predators online. Right. I think it's kind of overstated. But, yeah. you know, there's still some stuff that parents really should know about it just so they're aware and so they can talk to their kids. And it was interesting. There was a reader who said she really wasn't ready to have to talk about that topic with her daughter who was like eight or nine, as I recall. Yeah. And I remember saying to her, like, but you can talk about consent and you can talk about good yes. touching and bad touching. And it made me think that, you know, it's really about conversation, as you were saying. Now, you also mentioned earlier that so much has changed about sexuality. Like, I don't remember consent ever being part of the discussion. Right. Is that something that's like a big thing that people are including in talks now? Like, yes. And like, what else is new that we should be including that we might not <laughs> be doing from when we were kids? I always say that consent is one of the most important things that we can talk to our kids about. But when we're talking to, if we think about that geographer age, right? Mm -hmm. They don't even need to know the word consent at that age, but right. they can start to learn things like what it means. So we give our kids permission to not hug and kiss everybody that they see. Yeah. So I think we just got over the holidays and people give your kids presents or they haven't seen them in a long time. And they say, oh, come give grandma a hug or go give your you know, uncle a hug and say, thank you. Well, Sometimes our kids don't want to do that, and we need to respect that. Yes, that's definitely a new thing. That's a great point. It's a super new thing, but that's consent. So that's setting the stage to talk about consent later on if we start to include some of those ideas now when they're younger, right? But if we think about then as our kids get older, consent looks different. It's asking people if we can touch them, right? Can I give you a hug instead of just giving, helping our kids see that they should be given permission. It's now that they should be asking for permission. It's talking about how grownups use consent. I think one of the best things we can do for our kids is model for them what these things look like. What does a healthy sexuality look and sound like? 
And if we can model that for them, they're going to start to see this because they're certainly not seeing that in the media, right? I mean, we still live in a world that really over-sexualizes women, that does not talk about consent. I mean, granted, we've got these movements in the last couple of years, but still sort of our general media, I think, still highlights couples who are maybe not as consensual in some of their relationships. It still is really about uh, physicality. It's really about sexual activity rather than about love and intimacy. So our kids don't always see these examples in other places. But don't you think media has improved somewhat because I mean yeah I think about all the like period positive campaigns yes. out there and what always did and hello float and thanks period panties and our kids know about that like I'm raising two adolescent yes. girls and two adolescent stepdaughters and I find that they're actually pretty comfortable talking about stuff that I was more squeamish about as a kid so do you think yes. we have evolved somewhat at least oh my goodness I think we have evolved so much and I couldn't be you know prouder to talk to parents who feel more comfortable because they see that our culture is evolving in this way. It's just to say that we're not to this point where our culture is a perfect example for our kids, right? Yeah. And so we want to remember that we can't leave it up to the rest of the world to talk to our kids about these things. Uh, That's kind of the point is that we want to make sure that we as parents are the primary sex educators in our kids' lives. I want to be the one to talk to them about this because then I get to share my values. I can share my experiences if I think that they're valuable, but I also get to be a safe place and a sounding board for my kids to talk to about all things in the future. It's really just this reminder for us that if we can be that example or if we can start to use some of this language about consent, if we can use that in our own lives, that they'll start to see that as an example and better live it out in their lives. That's wonderful. I, I really like the idea about not leaving it up to the rest of the world to talk about this. I think we can relate to that in terms of drugs and alcohol and technology. Yes. And I, I love applying that to sexuality as well. So here are a couple other things that I think are kind of new to the conversation. I want to know how you stand on this. One thing that I think is really new is mothers of boys telling us all the time on Facebook or on our pages, you know, well, I want to talk to my sons about periods as well, because I think it's important yes. for them to know it. I grew up, you know, when they separated the boys and the girls in health class. It was called health yes, yes. <laughs> or sex ed, right? Yep. And we learned different things. And it was like this secret, like we never knew what was going on in the other room. What were they learning? Right. What were they talking? about and there would be like gossip about it. Do you think that's changed? Like are yes. people sharing cross-gender experiences more? So I think they probably are sharing them more. Although I will say that the majority of parents I talk to still don't do that early enough. They still mm. sort of wait until the last minute. Like they'll talk to their boys about a period in middle school when I think, okay, but the time was maybe earlier when they started to notice these differences. If girls are getting their periods, you know, on average, we would say like fifth grade. But that means that a lot of girls get them in fourth grade and some girls that might be sixth, seventh grade. But that means that we want both our boys and girls to be prepared to see some of these changes happening. I don't want my son to see a girl maybe um, starting to get, you know, breasts because we usually get our breast buds about a year or two before we get our period. So that would be a physical change that our boys would be witnessing. So they might see a bra strap on a girl or if a girl gets her period at school and gets blood on her pants, right? I don't want my son to be wondering what that is. I certainly don't want him to be making fun of her, yeah. laughing at her. I want him to know, oh, I know what that is. We've talked about that. That's part of puberty. That's part of development. I'll have my own stuff that I go through that's going to be feel awkward and embarrassing. So it's super important that we talk to our boys about these things so that they can be 
just sort of, you know, decent human beings, but also so that they feel informed, that they're not feeling like they've missed out on information, but that we do this early, that we do this before they actually live it out. That's great. Everything you're saying, I'm like nodding so furiously. I feel like you can hear my (laughs) headphones in the microphone as they're rattling on my head. But it's because it's so important, right? And I think a lot of times we just don't always know how to do it. So moms might say to me, okay, but how do you propose that I talk to my son about a period? Because that seems uncomfortable. I always say things like, first of all, use your own examples. I So much of my life happens at Target, by the way. So I talk about examples at Target all the time. <laughs> but if you're at Target, right, with your kids and they're shopping, you can purposefully go down that tampon aisle, right, and just go, oh, hey, while we're here, it made me think, do you know what a period is or do you know what these are for? Oh, that's so brilliant. Right? That's great to do for girls too, right? I mean. (laughs) It's the best way because it's super, it's just saying this isn't a big deal. You've been able to plan ahead and think ahead about what you might want to say, but it feels spontaneous, (laughs) right? Oh, hey, I just stumbled into aisle two feminine hygiene. Look at that. (laughs) Well, and it's the same way we can talk about contraception. If you are getting birth control from a pharmacy, right, take your kids with you. And when you pick up your prescription, you can say, hey, by the way, do you know what prescription I'm getting? Do you know what that's for? And that's a great segue into these conversations because it's real life. These aren't big, heavy sit down conversations. Your 10 year old son is not going to appreciate a sit down conversation about a period. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I don't think 10 year old sons want to have a sit down conversation about too many things that are uncomfortable with the parents anyway, unless it's like Minecraft or something that would probably be right. So speaking of contraception, how do you talk about the baby talk these days? Are people saying like when a man and a woman love each other very much or like have we moved past that now understanding that sexuality often doesn't involve love or marriage? Yeah, you know, in some ways we've moved beyond it. And in some ways, I think that people just resort to that because, again, they don't have anything better. Mm. So back to those developmental stages, we need to think about developmentally, what are our kids ready for? Those geographers don't need to know a whole lot. But if your geographer, like your four-year-old, wants to know, you know, where a baby comes from, they often say something like, where did I come from? Mm. And we want to find out what they mean by that first, because sometimes they just mean like, was I born in Texas? Was <laughs> I born in California? Before you launch into some whole reproductive story. They want to know what state they were born in. And you're like, well, there's a penis. Exactly. So figure <laughs> it out first. So we can just respond by saying like, wow, I love that you're asking these questions. What do you think? And then they might say like, Charlie's from Texas. And then you can go, okay, cool. No, like you were born here. This is fine, right? Uh So one thing is we just think about developmentally what they're ready to know. But by that next stage, so we talked about those geographers, right? That next stage is what Dr. Bernstein calls manufacturers. A manufacturer is what we would consider to be like a first through third grader. But some kindergartners could certainly be a manufacturer and yes, some fourth graders also. By the end of that manufacturer stage, kids are ready to know how it works because that's what a manufacturer brain is. A manufacturer brain likes to know how things work. So if we're going to maximize their developmental stage in our conversations with them, then I would say by like the end of third grade or start of fourth grade, we should be talking to our kids about how it all works. So how a baby is made. And to your question earlier about like, how do we actually do that? One of the things we can do is just implement this really simple phrase, but it goes a long way. 
in our family, we believe. Mm. Because just as you said, sex, first of all, is not always in marriage. It's not always even in a loving relationship. It's not just between a man and a woman. So how do we frame that for our kids? Well, first, they don't need to know all of that. If your kids are asking about how a baby is made, they're not asking about every context that sexuality or sexual behavior <laughs> But a lot of parents, that's where we get wrapped up and we think, oh my gosh, they're asking this. I've got to answer everything right now. I've got to tell them everything that I have ever believed about this. And we really overwhelm ourselves. But if we just take a step back, ask our kids what they think, because if we ask them what they think, even at you know third grade level, that still shows them, hey, culture of conversation. This is not like you ask questions and I shall give you all the answers. This is like, no, we talk about it together. You ask, I ask, we're engaging in communication together. So we ask our kids what they think and then they might have some answer or if they're like my kids, they'll be like, I asked you mom, so I don't have an answer. That's why I asked you. <laughs> like right. feel polite and respectful. But then you can say, well, in our family, we believe that when two people really care about each other. Or you might say, in our family, we believe that when a man and woman are married, right? Like that's how you could share your values mm -hmm. because we do all have different values. And we want our kids to know that what we're about to tell them is not like the one thing that the whole world believes, uh. right? We're about to tell them just really quickly, hey, this is what our family believes. Our family believes that when two people really love each other, they like to kiss and touch and hug each other in ways that feels really good. So that would be step one. I'm giving you the context to which I think this might be appropriate. So I might say when two people love each other and you can say whatever you believe. And then I'm saying that they like to do a lot of things because what I'm about to tell them about what intercourse is or about how a baby is made, I want them to know that is not the only way that people show love. There are a lot of other ways that we show love in our relationships. So I might say, right, we like to kiss and touch and hug each other in ways that feel really good. One way they do that. So just one way they do that, right? And then I might say the whole thing. So it might sound like this. Uh, in our family, we believe that when two people really love each other, they like to kiss and touch and hug each other in ways that feels really good. One way they do that is they decide, they, keyword, going back to consent, this yeah, is not like, very good. Gets to decide. they decide to put the man's penis inside of the woman's vagina. And the sperm can be released from the man's penis and go inside of the woman's body. And if it meets up with an egg, sometimes a baby is made. The end, right? That's so good. <laughs> Except that's not how all babies are made these days. Exactly. So that's why we say, number one, sometimes, a baby can be made. Ah, and again, that's good. why I think parents think, oh my gosh, how do I talk about two men loving each other, two women? How do I talk about marriage? How do I talk about some babies are made differently? How do I talk about it? And we just get so overwhelmed that we skip it. We just don't want to say anything. Right. But if you're like a single mom by choice, for example, you may have a different experience that you want to relate because it's not about a mom and a dad and a penis and a vagina. Exactly. So then you might say something else, right? So if that child is talking to that mom, for example, right? And they might say, you know, where did I come from? Or how was I? made, then that mom will have a different story to share. But at some point, that mom is still going to talk to her kids about this idea of reproduction and this idea of sexual intercourse. Because what we'll eventually do is that conversation that I just sort of shared will say, and that's what a lot of people might call sex or sexual intercourse. They call it a lot of things, but if you ever <laughs> hear someone talking about sex or sexual intercourse, that's usually what they're referring to. Because kids do need to hear that at some point, And you 
really want them to hear it from you rather than like, you know, the kid down the street who thinks that he knows everything, but really he knows nothing. Heidi, you are so good at what you do. Like, I am blown away. I mean, I read your website. I know who you are. But like hearing you is incredible. Like, I just think you must help thousands of parents. Like, you're amazing. I I hope I do. Thank you. For sure. I mean, you just make it so simple and clear. And I I just love the idea of in our family, we believe because it also grounds it in values. And it helps you understand that this is not just fact based, but this is what we believe. These are our values in our family. I think that's so important also as parents that our kids share our values. You know, it's one of the benefits of being a parent is we get to pass our values and passions on to our kids. So listen, let me ask you one more thing, because I think this is tough for a lot of parents. And I think this may be the newest of all the new things that have been added to the discussion since we were kids, which is the idea of gender identity and the difference between sex and gender. How do you talk to parents about this topic? Because I think this is one where even people who feel like they're educated kind of stumble around a bit. Absolutely. And again, it's because this was not part of the conversation when we were kids, right? This is not something that our parents tried to teach us or talk to us about. So I think that it is important that we talk about it. And I think the way to help parents put this into perspective is to first know that this might not have been a part of the regular conversations when we were kids but it is a part of regular conversations for our kids. They are hearing about this, they are exposed to these ideas of sexuality and gender identity all the time. So it's not new information to them necessarily. It feels new to a lot of us as we're still navigating this because it's been, you know, not our whole lives that these have been really important conversations, but for our kids, it has been their whole life. So we want to remember that talking to our kids about this is maybe not as hard as we think because they're already talking about it. It's harder for us than it is for our kids. So I think that that helps us. The other thing that I think is really important for parents to remember is that Kids get this idea of gender identity often better than grownups do sometimes. Mm -hmm. Kids are not as binary as we are. So non-binary gender is easier for kids to grasp than it is for us. I think same with same-sex relationships. To your original point, they don't have the baggage or the years of changing beliefs and zeitgeist that we do. And so it's easy to accept basic principles like gender being non-binary or love is love. Right. Kids change their minds. Kids don't always know what they want. Kids are still learning things. And because of that, they understand that somebody might still be figuring out who they are. They understand that somebody might still be learning what their sexuality is. Maybe one day somebody feels one way and and they're not quite sure the next. Like that idea is easy for kids because they already know all about liking lots of things. They like girl things. They like boy things. They know that they want to play baseball and play princesses. Like this idea of being all boy or all girl just is not something that's a part of their life the way that it was for a lot of us. Well, hopefully by now they know that baseball is not a boy thing and princess is not a girl thing. There are no boy things and girl things besides maybe the penis and the vagina. Right. (laughs) But because that's a part of their world where it wasn't a part of ours, right? It's just automatically easier for them to think about and easier for them to address. So I think about kids and how we can help talk to them about it. And one thing that we can really just grasp onto is the idea of fluidity. I think it's okay or important for us even to talk to our kids about the idea of fluidity, because research tells us kids know their gender identities and they know their sexuality pretty early on. And most adults report back that they knew these things when they were pretty young, even though I still hear parents now saying, well, how could they know that? And, you know, Uh, my son's friend thinks that he's gay and I just don't. 
Yes, he probably does know that. I hear that all the time. And as a doctor and researcher, I'm so glad to hear you say this. I mean, look, our listeners, I think, are pretty savvy and smart and awesome, and they all probably know this. But maybe they need to share this episode with someone who doesn't, (laughs) because it's so great to hear you validate this, because it validates people for them to know that who they are and what they feel is real. It's not made up. It's not in their mind. It's not pretend. It may not change. Like, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say it in such clear terms. Yes. And I think that what we say to our kids is just that it's okay to feel one way now and another way next year. And that doesn't mean how you felt before was wrong or bad. And it doesn't mean that how you feel today is how you will feel forever. Right. And kids get that so much more than we do because they're still in this state of flux. I think a lot of times we seek to protect our kids from these truths that grownups find uncomfortable. In my experience, it's just not hard for kids at all. They have the ability to see the world without judgment as long as we don't interfere with that. So really, that's our goal, right, is just not to interfere with their already ever-changing minds and really open understanding of what people can be. Heidi, you are a miracle worker. You're amazing. (laughs) I love this discussion so much. I know Kristen's going to love it. She's going to be so bummed she wasn't here. So listen, I mean, you've already given us so much information. This is amazing. But before we get to our cool picks of the week, just tell our listeners where they can find more about you. I know you have a website called Beyond Birds and Bees, but that's not the URL. Right. The URL is communicatingyourvalues.com. It's long, but it really sums up what I do, helping people communicate their values. So communicatingyourvalues.com. I have a newsletter that I write that shares all sorts of information at bbbnewsletter.com. That's for Beyond Birds and Bees newsletter. So bbbnewsletter.com. Subscribe to that. I send out something every couple of weeks just with information. I answer questions from people about all of this stuff so that hopefully we continue to really broaden our idea of what it means to raise sexually healthy kids. Amazing. And hey, for all our listeners, if you run church or synagogue groups or community groups or are involved in your PTA, you can yes. even hire Heidi to come speak to your group if you'd like. You sure can. That's what I do. She's obviously really good. So listen, let's talk about Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! Heidi, you are our guest, so I can't wait to hear what you have. You get to go first. All right, so my Cool Pick of the Week has been my Cool Pick for like a year now. Maybe you've (laughs) talked about it before, maybe you know about it, but it's a boombox gift. What is that? Do you know about this? Okay, so a boombox gift. So first of all, it was created by Christina Geist, Willie Geist's wife. Oh, yeah. So we know her. She's a New York City person. Yeah. But so she created this boombox gift, and it is amazing. So what is it? Well, it is this website that you go to, boomboxgifts.com, and you are purchasing ultimately this beautiful box that has all these custom printed cards and letters in it. But usually you're getting this for someone else. So I'm going to tell you how I used it so you can get this example. <gasps> I'm looking at the website right now. I'm going to cry. It's amazing. This is so sweet. So we did this for my parents' 40th anniversary. I think I heard Christina Geis on a podcast, actually, and that's how I heard about Yay, it. Hey, podcast. Yes. We did this for my parents' 40th. We reached out using Boombox Gifts. They give you this great template. They give you these emails. They help you record everything. It's a memory box, right? Yes. And so we reached out to everybody that we thought they had ever met. I mean, I searched people they went to grade school with through Facebook. I was looking at friends and relatives and, you know, all these people. And all it does is you're sending them an email, these people, and you're saying, hey, do you want to share a memory or a quote or a picture? And then Boombox Gifts, they organize all of this. They print it on these beautiful cards, pictures and quotes and all these things. And they send you this actual box. And so I get goosebumps even thinking about it. But when we gave my parents this box, they opened it and it has 
you know, oh. 150 cards from people that they love who just wrote notes of, of what they love about them and how they know them. And it was like the best moment watching them get all of these memories from people. I love this. And you describe yes. it so beautifully. You could be on the Today Show with me next time talking oh. about cool product picks. This is really cool. So it's boomboxgifts.com. And obviously, we will link up everything you hear in today's episode on coolmompicks.com on our podcast page. Here's my gift. It's not nearly as sentimental, but it <laughs> it it could make me cry. <laughs> I want to recommend the Withings Body Plus Scale. So... This year, Heidi, I decided this is the year I have to get into better healthy habits and okay. treat my body better and focus on myself. And so one of the first things I did was invest in a good smart scale. I didn't even have a scale at home. We did not have one. We had one that was broken for like a year, right. which is crazy, right? And so I was like, all right, I'm biting the bullet. And I did tons of research and I looked through Cool Mom Tech and I looked at Amazon reviews and I looked at Wirecutter and all those sites. And Withings Body Plus is kind of a newish scale from Withings. It is so cool. <laughs> what does it do? What makes it so great? Oh my gosh. So you can get it at Amazon. We'll put a link up on our site. But basically, it's more than a scale. It works through an app. So it's Bluetooth connected. It also connects if you have Apple Watch or a Fitbit or a Withings smartwatch or body tracking device. And it syncs with like if you're on WW on Weight Watchers, it syncs with that app. So it automatically like feeds information. But it's a smart body composition scale. So it's not just your weight. It'll tell you like what your water weight is. So when you're, quote, feeling fat, you yes. can look and be like, oh, I'm like retaining a ton of water. I have PMS. And you don't have to feel so bad about the weight. So I like that. Right. It also tells you, like, if you want, you can customize it how you want, but it can tell you what percentage of body fat you have, muscle and bone mass. It can, like, track your steps each day and kind of reward you for that. It's really cool. And you don't have to do everything with it. You can use it just as, like, a smart scale in a very basic way. But I kind of like the the water weight thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a great thing. It's really cool. And it's and right now I hope it's still on sale by the time this podcast goes up. It's like about 20% off on Amazon, which is a good deal. So it's not cheap, but it's not like a, you know, bread maker. And it won't sit in your closet for like three years not being used. <laughs> yes. And then not work anyways and make you mad. So that's my cool pick of the week. And again, we'll link up everything you heard today and information about Heidi Crowett on Cool Mom Picks on our podcast page. Thank you so much for joining us. You are incredible. Thank you. Well, that's it. What a great episode. Wow. Can you tell I love that? I really, really love that. And thank all of you for joining us for another episode of Spawned. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Kristen will be back next week and will be joined by a brand new guest who you won't want to miss. A huge thanks, as always, to our amazing engineer, John Bowen. And hey, there are a few things you can do to help spread the word and support Spawned, which is what we do. One, you can subscribe. That's the easiest thing right now. Whatever device you're listening on, just look down and tap subscribe, and that's it. You can also download our episodes so you can listen offline. It also helps other people find us, believe it or not. And you know it's another way to help people find us? Tell them. So if you want to tell a friend that you like Spawn, if you want to share this episode with them, I know a few people on my list who would find it very helpful. I'm just saying. No pressure, just saying. You can also find all our past episodes if you look at the podcast link on the top of coolmompicks.com. And if you want to be part of our Spawn community on Facebook, just go to Cool Mom Picks on Facebook and you'll see the group right there or search Spawn Podcast Community and it will come right up. We'd love to have you join us to chat about anything. I bet there'll be a lot of good discussions about this for sure. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to Spawned. This is Liz. Kristen will be back next week. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.